0: So many of you know the uh, saga that happened on our campus last weekend and uh, prevented us from having the services. On, Sunday, on Saturday, the, the day where the flooding was worse, I was in the Saturday morning, I was in our newest building, our newest permanent building, our ministry team's center, and the waters were just really all around uh, everywhere. They were throughout this parking lot and the inside some of our portables, and they were getting closer and closer to our building. And uh, Warren Rumpel, who's on our staff team leading our facilities, just said, Jeff, there's really nothing we can do about it. So we were all praying. Maybe you were praying uh, Saturday morning that uh, we're just asking God because uh, Spring Creek was rising. The creek was rising. Uh, The water was getting closer and closer to our getting in our doors. And we were just praying, Lord, would you stop the water? And at a certain point, uh, the water stopped and began receding, even though the Spring Creek was rising throughout the day. And what happened is God just sort of opened up a corridor in the back through this berm and released a lot of water off our property. Just kind of spared us from these three buildings getting flooded. So we're grateful for that. And uh, we, we give God credit for that. And you know, uh, the flooding that we had could have been a lot worse. But, but at the same time, you know, I, I've, I, I'm like you guys. I, I so feel for people who, many of whom, got flooded again. The last month, our hearts goes out to them. We as a church want to help. We're partnering with other churches. And if we can help you, please let one of us know we'd like to do that. So we're going to pray this morning. And because you guys are so flexible, I'm going to use a different version in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to use the ESV version rather than the King James, just kind of regular language. But, you know, if you don't like that version, just any old version you want to use, you feel free. But let's pray it from our heart, if we could. All right, pray with me. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Yes, Lord God, we affirm that, declare that, that yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. You are none other than the glorious, holy, perfect, infinite, eternal God of all glory. And we bless you. We bless you. Lord God, we thank you for a Savior. We thank you for grace that you're the God of grace and love and mercy to the likes of us. Lord, I pray that everyone here would know that you're crazy in love with them and they'd receive that love and grace this morning. Lord God, we thank you that there's only one church in the city, the church of Christ. We pray for our fellow congregation, Lord God, at the crossing. Their pastor, Randy Harvey, just a delightful, delightful brother. Would you continue to bless that church in every way, every way? Now, Papa, this morning as we open your holy word, which is alive, would you speak to me, would you speak to us in any way you choose? That's our prayer. We pray it together in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So I'm going to be reading in Exodus 19, if you'd stand with me. I'm going to read the first six verses of this great chapter. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. So the nation of Israel has now crossed the Red Sea. They have made their way as far as Mount Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula, still called that today. The entire area around this mountain would be about 5,000 feet high, a plateau. We're not sure exactly which peak around there. That would probably be about 7,000 feet high, but this is the place where God spoke to Moses way back in Exodus 3 and really called him out of the burning bush, called him, go back to the land of Egypt to rescue my people. And here they are back again. And in Exodus 19 and the following chapters, as they're here at the base of this mountain, God will speak through Moses to the people. Next chapter, we will see him giving them the Ten Commandments, you know, the famous Ten Commandments, and the other Commandments that are part of the Mosaic Law, the total of 613 commandments. And uh, this passage today is going to really underscore the two most important things that for us to know. First of all, who God is. And here we'll see in this passage the greatness, the glory, the majesty, the awesomeness, really the fearsomeness of God. But I think even a stronger note. Other than who God is, is who we are, our identity. Who we are is one of God's people. Now, now church, these are the two most important things for us to know, in, in that order. Most important is to, is to see God as He is, and secondly, is to see ourselves as, as we are. In fact, just about every day, maybe it's every day, in my prayers for my family, for the 12 folks kind of in our immediate family, for uh, people who are close to me, for, for you as a church, I am praying, Lord God, help us to see you as you are. And Lord God, help us to see ourselves as we are. And, and as those of you who are parents, it is, and you, you know, we want to all make disciples. Well, if you've got kids at home, they're, they're your first disciples. It's so vital to help them see God as he is and to help them see themselves As as God sees them as they are. So that's just right at the heart of discipleship. So we're going to see both of those things, but particularly who we are. Now in verse 4, God says, Moses, this is what you have for the people. And it really begins in on who we are as the people of God. When he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so here is God and the book of Exodus uh, more than just about any other book is, is emphasizing the glory, the greatness, the judgment, the holiness, the, the, the fearsomeness of God, but yet He is so tender to His people that He says, I bore you on eagle's wings. I bore you on eagle's wings. I picked you up and I carried you. You know, we've got a little, new granddaughter around our family, Wren, um, and she's only about three months old, and so we've got to pick her up and carry her around. And God has to do that with us, He carries us. There are times, just kind of a little bit like Wren, you know, she can't carry herself. She can't get around. At times, we need to be carried. And God will carry you when we call out to him. I carry you on eagle's wings, so tender about God's love and care for us. And, And he says, I brought you to myself. Now, that's especially interesting because the whole point of this book is how God rescued his people and took them out of Egypt But he wasn't just taking them out of Egypt. He was taking them to himself. Not just to the land of promise, but to himself. I'm really bringing you to me. You know, church, that's true for you and me. God is bringing us not out of something so much as to something, to himself. He's bringing us to himself. Now, remember what happened in the previous chapter if you were here. Uh, The Israelites uh, had a time without water. And then they had a time without food. Then they had a time without water. And they were grumbling and complaining because where is God? What's he doing? And he's abandoned us. Oh, no. no. He hadn't abandoned them. He was this whole time drawing them to himself. He was using the struggles and the challenges to bring them to himself. And when we go through tough times, God hasn't abandoned you. He is bringing you to himself. And he is carrying you on eagles' wings. And so if if we lose a job or have, you know, financial challenges or even if we've got water in our house or, you know, got physical pain or back pain or or have problems with kids or marriage or singleness, God is drawing us to himself. He hasn't abandoned you. He will carry you. He will carry you on eagle's wings. So this is beginning to to see how we see ourselves as so loved by God, so tenderly loved by God that he carries us on eagle's wings. He goes on. He says in verse 5, he says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Now, let me just, he's going to give us three things about us, three uh, promises that are going to be true of us. But before he does, he says, Now, what you need to do is you need to obey my voice and keep my covenant. Um, covenant. A covenant. Okay, again, that term is used in the Old Testament. Let's just kind of be clear. Okay, think contract. That's what we do in business. If you own a house, you know, you got a mortgage. That's a contract. That's a business thing. But a covenant is a love thing. That's what, if you're married, that's what you have with your spouse. You know, uh, you have a covenant so that you're not only uh, committed to one another, you're committed to one another in love. God has with us, not a contract, but a covenant. He is committed to you in love no matter what. And He wants us to love Him back. He so wants us to love Him back. And the way that we express our love to God is about obeying Him. Jesus said it in John 14, 21. He said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, He's the one who loves me. Now think about that with me. Okay, Gail and I have a love relationship, and the way that we show love horizontally to humans it's basically through serving. We serve each other. But the way we show love to the one above us is obeying. That's how we show the love and express it. Because we trust Him, we want to please Him, and we want to obey Him. And so, what's God asking here? He's asking us to love Him back and to obey Him, to trust Him, to obey Him. You know, all through the Old Testament, God, you, see, you see God as a sort of like a jilted lover, loving his people, but his people so often turn away and spurn his love because they don't trust his love, his heart. God's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love me back and obey me. Show it by obeying me. Keep my covenant and on my love. I'm going to be loving you. You love me back. And then he gives us the threefold uh, 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 description of, of just who Who we are is God's people. Now, this is true of the Old Testament. Even in a book like Exodus, the the fearsomeness of God, God is so tender with His people. Even though they complain and whine and, you know, mumble and murmur, He's so tender to them. And that's the way He treats you and me. He says three things about us. First of all, in verse 5, He says, if you'll do these things, He says, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Okay, just think about that kind of language. God is saying, look, you you are my treasured possession. You're part of me. You belong to me. And I treasure you. I treasure you. And it's hard to express the tenderness that God has for us in this. But with all the Bible, we can just sense it and see it. And, um, you know, again, if I could go back to to our newest grandchild, uh, little Wren. Now, here's Wren, three months old. and, and, And all of us, you know, all of us in kind of the nuclear family, we're just crazy in love with her. And and, and she's not done one thing to deserve that, has she? You know, all she's done is she occasionally will have a little smile, but she just makes a bunch of messes and and fusses if she gets hungry. But we don't care. We are crazy in love with that baby. We treasure her. And, and, And that is how God sees you. That is how God sees you. And some of you don't believe that. Those words just went right off your shoulders, off your back. Because all of your life, you have listened to other voices. You've listened to voices of parents who may, probably loved you, but they weren't perfect. None of us are. And, and, and siblings, and friends, and teachers, and, and, and bosses, and, and we heard rejection, and, 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 and we've heard all these other voices. And, and, and we've heard our own voice that at times is just so tough on us. But we've also heard the voice of an enemy who wants to ruin us and deprive us of all joy in life. And what we need to do is to shut our minds to every other voice except God's voice. And to see ourselves, begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. You know, I'm just like that little baby. I'm just so loved by his parents and his grandparents. Just crazy in love. That's that's what God says about you. You are my treasured possession. Not because you earned it. Uh, you're a mess. Uh, but I just love you. I just love you. Okay, that's the first one. The second one, he says, you will be, <coughs> you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, that's an unusual language. That's kind of combining royalty and priesthood and a kingdom of priests. Now, let's just see if we can kind of unpack that a little bit. That's kind of like saying, you're, you know, if you are in, uh, in Britain, you're part of the royal family. You're royalty. You're part of the kingdom but it's like, you know, in the Old Testament, you're one of the priests who, who help people uh, get to God and access God. You're both kingdom and priest. We're a kingdom because we're a part of Christ's kingdom. He's the high king. He's the great king. He's, he's the real king. But, but he's kind of taken us up, and, and we're part of his royalty. Uh, that's the way he views you. Um, I was at another grandchild's uh, Four-year-old class, graduation a couple of, years, uh, couple of weeks ago, right here on this stage. We have a great Kids Edge ministry here at this church, and, and they had a graduation for the various classes. And Evelyn, our four-year-old, was graduating. They had all their red gowns on. It was just so good. And the kids had beforehand uh, answered the question, what do I want to be when I grow up? And uh, they said all kinds of things veterinarians, firefighters, all kinds of things. One little boy said, When I grow up, I want to be bigger. <laughs> One little girl said this When I grow up, I want to be queen of the world. <laughs> and that's exactly who she'll be. She'll be part of the royalty reigning with Jesus because of who Jesus has made her. That's the dignity. That God has invested us. We're kings. We're priests. Now, in the Old Testament, the priests, they had this special role of receiving the sacrifices and then assuring the people of their forgiveness. Okay, you bring your sacrifices, you're assured of forgiveness. And they kind of help people come into the presence of God. Now, now they couldn't go into the holy place, certainly couldn't go into the holy of holies, which had this huge curtain around it. They, They didn't have that kind of access, but they could bring sacrifices and the priests would receive it. Now, that was the Old Testament covenant out of Mount Sinai. In the New Testament, it's not like that. In fact, when Jesus died, remember in the Holy of Holies in the temple, you know, nearby, what happened to that curtain that was a barrier between God and man? God ripped it in two from top to bottom. He ripped it in two. And he was saying, the way to God is now flung open because the blood of my son That sacrifice can really pay for sin. And what God says in the New Testament is now that we are all priests, we're all priests. Um, We don't have a a clergy-laity distinction that's kind of essential or fundamental. I am no different, zero different than anybody else here. I have different gift wirings and different callings, and you allow me to do this full time. But we are all equally priests to God. And in the 1500s, the Reformation, you're recovering some biblical truths. That was one of the main truths that were underscored, the priesthood of all believers. So what does that mean? Well, there are no more sacrifices. We've had the final sacrifice for sin, Jesus. But we do want to help people experience access to God and and know they can come into the presence of God and tell them about Jesus and the gospel. We want to assure them there's forgiveness in Jesus. We're all priests. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, "There is no difference between layman and priest except that of office and work, that is, calling." He says, "A cobbler, a smith, a farmer, in our day, a geologist, a pilot, and a stay-at-home mom, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they are all alike, consecrated priests and bishops, and by means of his own work or office, must benefit and serve every other, even as all the members of the body serve one another." You know, we're all priests. You've got a high calling. You are part of the ministry of the kingdom and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You've got an important, vital role in the ongoing kingdom of God. All right, we've seen two things. Treasure possession, kingdom of priests, and then thirdly, you, you, you will be a holy nation. So even in the Old Testament, a holy nation. Now, one of the important Old Testament words for our New Testament words, is this word holy. We sang it earlier in this last song, you know, holy, holy. So, Lord God Almighty, holy, what are we saying? We're saying that God is, is different than us. He is above us. He transcends us. He is so far above us that no one is, can even be compared to him. He's incomparable. He's special. And God endows us with that holiness, that we're special. And the reason we are special is not because of what we have done, but because of whose we are. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ has washed us whiter than snow. And we're a holy people. We're special because we we are no longer in our sin. We are completely forgiven that the blood of Jesus Christ, and what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing that a little bit later on. You know, each week we take communion, And we uh, remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And we used to have a member, Irwin Wood, great guy, character. And uh, yeah, you know Jay. And and he used to say, you know, it's like communion, me looking at my hand through communion. God looks at me through the blood of Jesus. And I am spotless in his eyes. Friends, if you are in Christ... If some point in your life you've placed your trust in Christ to save you rather than relying on yourself, then that, that is completely true of you. Uh, God doesn't look at yourself, look at you as in your sin, but as in Christ, completely washed whiter than snow. And that's the way God sees you, and that's the way we've got to see ourselves. Uh, no condemnation, but completely forgiven treasure. We're a holy people. In fact, the New Testament term... Um, I almost wish the translations would translate a little bit differently because there's a, a basic word in the New Testament, saints, referring to believers, not to special iconic people, but all of us. It says, to the saints who are in Philippi. And any Greek reader who saw Paul's words would, would see that's the basic everyday word for holy. And so they would read that as holy people. The same, same basic term here, holy people. To, to the holy people in Philippi, to the holy people at Wood's edge. And what that means is that you are made holy because of the blood of Jesus. And this is how God sees you. You, you, You're not fundamentally sinners, even though you're a mess, but you are fundamentally God's holy people, washed whiter than snow forever. Now, even in the Old Testament, even in the book of Exodus, this is God saying, This is how I see you. I just love you to death. You're treasured. You're chosen. Uh, I brought you to myself. You didn't choose me; I chose you. No one can come to me unless, unless the Father who, draw, who draws me, you know, who who uh, sent me, draws me to you. Uh, you're, you're treasured. You're you're holy. You're special. You're a kingdom. You're a priest. This is who you are. See yourself the way God sees you, church. I, I wish I could do something for all of us, really, because all of us struggle with this. But I, I just so wish I could reach down in your heart and, and help you to know this is true for you. Because it just transforms our lives to the extent that we believe this. The level of joy. Our ability to love our kids and the people around us. um, The peace that we experience. Just every aspect of life. Decide, I'm going to actually take God's word seriously and believe what he says about me. I'm going to listen to that voice. That voice. Now, 1 Peter 2.9. Peter Picks up on this same exact language. He, he's referring to, ne- to Exodus 19, 5 and 6, when he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, you know, kings and priests, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He is underscoring, This is who you are. Or think about the every week at the end of the service, and I, I say a benediction. That language must have come from Exodus 19, or at least some of it. Now, remember, this is how he, sa- he says it. He says, to him who loves us, remember, it Saul starts with God's love for us. He's crazy about us. And he has freed us from our sins by his blood, seized us through Christ. He's made us a kingdom priests, to His God and Father, to Him be glory dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so every week, just receive that as the truth of God about yourself. And pass that on to your kids and your disciples, your small group, and the people around you. Let's help each other do that. Now, that's the heart of the passage, I think. But, but it goes on and it, and it talks about really the, 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 the greatness and the fearsomeness of God. So let's just fairly briefly read over the next verses. Verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They didn't. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever, imbuing him with spiritual authority. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Not that the garments were dirty, but they need to prepare for this very special occasion, just an incredible occasion. "And And be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. I mean, God is so holy, He's so special. Can't even touch the mountain, or you'll be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be. St- no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. The person who does touch the mountain, you know, you can't even touch them. They'll be stoned or shot with a bow and arrow, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain, probably up to the edge of it. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Not that sex is bad in marriage, but, but uh, they prepare and focus on, the God, on God's appearing here. 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I mean, that, that just must have been incredible to, to be there and experience that. This, this trumpet blast all of a sudden sounds and, you know, maybe some angel up there is, is playing that trumpet. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So just this smoke just covering the mountain, wrapped around it. God appearing in fire, probably the pillar of fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a keon, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Must have been something. Everything was shaken. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And what is this passage saying to us? Well, it's just reminding us as it reminded them of the greatness and the glory and the holiness and the majesty and the fearsomeness of God. You know, it's, it's, it's Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, in the Old Testament, the continuing motif about us and God is that of distance. You know, that big, thick curtain couldn't go into the holy of holies. Passages like this, the holiness of God, the distance between us and a holy God. But in the New Testament, it all changes. And when Jesus dies, he flings the gates of heaven wide open, he tears the curtain and saying, the way is open because sin has been paid for. And the motif in the New Testament is no longer distance. It is nearness. It is near. God came near in Jesus. So we don't have to feel guilty and worried about coming to church because we weren't perfect last week or praying or anything like that because God sees us as completely white and blameless and holy, just like a much-loved little baby. That's how God sees us. Come on in. Come on in with confidence and grace. There's a passage in the New Testament that almost exactly picks up on this passage in Exodus 19. It's found late in the Bible, Hebrews 12. And notice the contrast between the Old Covenant, Mount Sinai, and the New Covenant, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. 12:18, for you have not come, you believers in the New Testament, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion. Not Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. That's the cross, the cross of Jesus. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You've come to a celebration, a party, To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. New covenant. We're in the new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood. That speaks a better word than the blood of Abraham. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's a new day. It's a new day. And this is how we see ourselves, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, His much-loved much uh, uh, prized, blood-bought sons and daughters. Now, church, is so vital that we see ourselves this way. And if you want your kids to grow up seeing themselves that way, you need to start by seeing yourself that way. It will just ooze out. And if we want to help one another in small groups, disciples, teenagers, all across the church, then we've got to see ourselves the way we really are. That is the way God us. Um, If you're in Christ, these are all true of you, and so many more truths like it. If you're, not, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, then just get sure right now. Right where you're seated, breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, come and save me, and he'll do it. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, as we see in Luke 18. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He hears that prayer, and he just transforms you completely. You're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're special. In God's eyes, you're special, and therefore you're special. You are blood-bought, much-loved, completely forgiven. And so many other things. What would it be like, church, if we really embraced that, saw ourselves the way we really are? I'm going to end in a little bit different way than usual. I want you to stand up, if you would. And I have, um, I've chosen 20, could have chosen 40, but I've chosen 20 carefully selected truths from the Bible about who you are, you are, if you're in Christ. And we're going to read them. I'm going to read one, you're going to read the next one. I'll read the third one, you'll read the fourth one. We're going to read them antiph- antiphonally. But I don't want you to be caught up in making sure you how you're saying it and staying with everybody. I want you to be caught up in the truths that God says about you because it is so vital that we hear his voice and shut our ears to every other voice about who we are. Okay? Can we do that? Okay. I'll read the first one, and then you follow by reading the second one. I am God's child... Much loved by him. I am Christ's brother, blood, I am justified, made right with God. I am redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am in Christ, united with him. I am saved saint, one of God's holy people. I am God's own adopted child. I am safe and secure in Christ forever. I am, I am dead to sin, but alive to God. I, to Christ, to I am God's own treasured possession. I have, been by God. I have a new heart and the mind of Christ. I am, a of heaven, I I am one of God's priests with a calling to ministry. I, am the of I know God works all things together for my good. I cannot be separated from the love of God. Amen. This is the truth of God. This is who you are. We're going to put these up. We've already put these on our website, front page. If you want to get them, maybe you need to kind of print these out. And, and just for the next few weeks, just maybe each morning, just go over them because this is the voice that we need to all be listened to. Can I just pray it over you? Lord God, I pray for every single one of us, for me included, Lord God, for every single one of us, that we would lay hold of these and grab them and embrace them with all our hearts and that they be passed on to children and friends, small group members, and the people around us that we disciple. Lord, give us grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.